Welcome to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm Paige Donner, the host and producer. This food and wine show is being brought to you directly from Paris, France. Here, we give you a taste of this delicious world with all its colorful and diverse personalities that make up the Paris culinary landscape. So, sit back and relax and enjoy Paris good food and wine. Autumn has come quickly this year. Following our very warm summer, punctuated by two historically infernally hot heat waves, ones which toasted grapevines in the south of France, 2019 looks to have yielded vintage-worthy harvests in both Bordeaux and Champagne. As of now, though, we are well into a cold and rainy autumn, with harvests finished and musts already fermenting in tanks. Walking through the Jardin de Luxembourg with my dog here in Paris, it's fun to watch her raise her snout and sniff the breeze to catch those fall whiffs of fallen chestnuts and amber leaves. Here in France, a sure sign that the season has changed to one of yellows, rusts, and orange is the sight of street vendors selling cones of roasted chestnuts. As I exited the Musée d'Orsay on Sunday, after spending the afternoon looking at the Degas à l'Opéra exhibit, the soothing, delicious smell of roasted chestnuts greeted me. It's one of those smells which, for me, will always be Paris. The horse chestnut tree, Le Châtaignier in French, is ubiquitous all over the city. At this time of year, Paris streets and parks are laden with its gleaming, dark brown, shiny nuts called marrons. The marron are the edible nuts. It's admirably enterprising of these chestnut roasters, since undoubtedly they simply harvest their nuts from the many Parisian parks, set up a mobile roasting cart, and sell these delicious, sweet and nutty warm treats outside popular Parisian landmarks, like the Musée d'Orsay, the Louvre, and the Pont des Arts. According to Auguste Chevalier, writing in 1941, we don't know the origin nor the history of these chestnut trees here in Paris, but it's thought they were cultivated since the Middle Ages by the monasteries and abbey monks, who numbered significantly throughout the Paris region for at least the past 1,000 years. The same holds true for the once abundant olive and walnut trees in the region. In the show notes, you'll find several links to books and blogs that will help you delve more deeply into Paris and its beautiful trees, trees whose leaves are synonymous with the changing aubergine, amber, and orange colors of fall. But right now, we're turning our attention to wine and truffles. Notably, this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine takes you to the famous La Tour d'Argent, long regarded as Paris's finest restaurant, and certainly still the very best wine cellar in the whole city, if not all of France. We'll be speaking with the newly appointed chef sommelier, Julien Tuitou, who has just been handed the reins by the infamous David Ridgway, who's now in semi-retirement. Then we head to Burgundy. This is truffle country, and we happen to be visiting the Chateau de Volteluni, which has its very own truffière, or truffle garden. Truffles are harvested so abundantly here some years that the husband and wife who run the exquisite Chateau Hotel sometimes even offer their guests a complimentary truffle upon check-in. Beware, though, these are the real kind and not chocolate truffles, as one American visitor once mistook them for, though he quickly realized his error as soon as he bit into it. 
You can read more about my visit to the Chateau de Volteluni on 10best.com in my article, Fairytale Vacation, The Best Chateaus to Visit. But for this interview, we're focusing on the husband and wife team who runs the Michelin-starred restaurant Louis XIII, or Louis XIII. They are both originally from the Mauritius Islands. She, Karina Laval, is the chef pâtissière specialized in ice cream. In fact, she's the very first woman in France to compete for the Meilleur Ouvrier de France in ice cream. He, Franco Boani, delights in picking his fresh vegetables in the garden out back and then serving them just a few moments later on your plate. He has truly found his niche by subtly blending exotic island spices from his native home with classic French dishes. You'll be astounded by how wonderfully this pairs with the gorgeous, crisp Grand Cru Chablis, which is their local wine region. So, let's get started. First up is Julien Tuitou. Now you can find Paris Good Food and Wine on iHeartRadio, as well as on Spotify. And also, as always, on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. Season 6 of Paris Good Food and Wine is generously being brought to you by IOT Shipping. IOT, the Internet of Things. IOT Shipping tracks your value assets using the Internet of Things technology that gives you data points based on temperature, movement, and geolocation. For more information, contact us at IOT shipping.xyz. That's iotshipping.xyz. This episode of Paris Good Food and Wine has been brought to you by Paris Food and Wine. You can find us at parisfoodandwine.net. So I have the great honor and privilege of meeting the uh, new chef sommelier of Le Tour d'Argent, who um, is a young man, Julien Tuitou, and he has um, now uh, stepped into the extraordinarily big shoes of the legendary David Ridgway, um, who has uh, since, since retired. But he has he's spent quite a lot of time going through this process of the transmission of such an immense wine list, uh, uh, a cellar that is resplendent with 320,000 bottles of the finest of French wines and ports. So, Julien, can you tell us a little bit about that transmission process of learning about this these world-renowned cellars, caves, as you say in French? Yes, my name is Julien. I'm going to to speak about uh, and about the transmission. So, I started there in La, in La Tour d'Argent one year ago as a deputy head sommelier. David uh, was uh, half retirement he's still in half retirement he's still helping me about the transmission and now um the real the real work the real part of work here is uh, managing 320,000 bottles in the cellar so i need the help i need some help of course i need uh, the expertise of david to to show me the way how to manage all the wine cellar 
uh, after um, managing the wine cellar, you know, it's it's about a, a team spirit because I'm not alone to uh, to manage the wine cellar. There is a approximately uh, per year eight uh, people working here, eight eight sommelier and one cellar master. And so all the bottles are located on the cellar. There isn't uh, a cellar in another place. It's really easy for us to go to get down uh, through the cellar and looking for a bottle and getting the bottle up just to serve in the for the client uh, in the restaurant. There is um, to manage all the, the bottles. We make some inventory one per month. We control uh, not all the bottles, but uh, the bottles who are uh, great value. And um, we've got a software to manage the cellar. It's really important. So that's uh, that's all we do here in uh, in La Tour d'Argent. I'm going to to talk about the um, the transmission. So David, as you mentioned, past year the 40 years, and uh, he built all the cellar. He bought some wines. Uh, he he allows to the French wines to be known all all over the world. So he did a, a really great work here. And what is really important for us is uh, visiting the vineyard as well. So. Each month we visit some vineyard uh, from all the great wine producer in France, uh, from Burgundy, for example, uh, where we go really often, from Bordeaux, from Loire, from uh, Jura, um, and some Alsace country as well. So it's a really great chance uh, Tour d'Argent offer to me and for all the team. And it's a, a really great opportunity. I start... When I met um, David one year ago, he talked to me the, about the, the the transmission with the Stéphane Trappier, the, the restaurant manager. So they told me about the project and I was really interested about it because in the sommelier life, I was looking to get the time to, to learn about the old wine, to, to try some old wines and to I was looking to understand all the... the the job in the real sommelier life, you know, because some of the restaurants now, uh, now are selling the wine really young. So sometimes there there is an obligation for it, but sometimes not. But most uh, mo more often there is an obligation to to sell some wine really really young. But here in La Tour d'Argent, we've got the chance to to sell the wine and to keep the wine five years before pop up the bottle. So uh, we are really lucky to get this uh, wonderful treasure. And treasure is what it is. I mean, you just allowed me to realize one of my long-held dreams. Uh, you took me on a tour of your cellars here, the Le Cave of La Tour d'Argent. And um, I have never before laid my eyes on such a magnificent treasure of, of wines. And I, 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 I can see it so clearly that one day it will be, it will be a national treasure. I, I don't see how it couldn't be. But the other thing though, too, that, um, struck me is that there's, there's no rhyme or reason to your organization down there. I, there's one area that you showed me that was all port and I don't remember the number or the letter assigned to it. I remember champagne had the letter S assigned to it, but it didn't necessarily go from, it went from A to Z. 
I just don't know how when you're upstairs and you're actually, um, you have your diners, uh, lunch or, or dinner, and somebody says, I need a Corton Charlemagne from, you know, I don't know, 19, uh, what, maybe, two, let's say 2005. <laughs> then, um, how would how do you navigate below like how did you i know that that was a part of the transmission that you just sort of talked about but how do you try to how you know there there's no logic really to your organization down there so how did you um how did you learn that and then also can you t- can you tell our listeners the anecdote about the part of the cellar that was walled off during the occupation and how how a large part of the cellar was uh, kept safe from from the occupation occupation during world war ii so first i'm gonna i'm gonna um, talk about uh, how we manage the, the cellar and how we we find a way to to get out a bottle from the cellar during the service it's more easy as you think uh you know so as i told to you be, before we are eight sommeliers to to make the service and we've got a cellar master too i talked to you about a software which is really um uh really nice to find a bottle we f- we put the bottle away on each cases where we've got some place, as I told to you, some some uh, Burgundy, some Bordeaux, some Rhone, some Alsace uh, are put away together. Um, when we don't know the cellar, it seems to be not really logic, but it is logic. So where we we put a, a bottle away in the cases, with just uh, writing down on the on the software, and we found ourselves like this. So it's really easy now if, for example, you talk uh, about a Corton Charlemagne, uh, Domaine Bonne du Martre, Millésime 2005. If we sell this bottle in the restaurant, we're going to uh, write it in the small piece of paper and to send it to the seller master. And with the, le- the seller master is going to check the case with the software, get the bottle out from the software and send the bottle to us. Uh, with the lift, we've got a lift which is coming from the cellar to the eighth, sixth floor in the restaurant. And uh, you told me, of course, uh, the small anecdote is a great part of uh, our history. Uh, we are really proud of it because our first president, uh, the first president owner, uh, André Terrail, Claude Terrail, sorry, the second, <laughs> second president, uh, Claude Terrail, second owner, in one night in uh, 1940. Uh, built a wall just to protect the, the second part of the cellar, and he saved some bottle. He did it with two metres It's not a legend. It's true. <laughs> and uh, so I think all the bottle now are drinked, but uh, uh, the, this is a real great party of uh, our history. And uh, we are really lucky and proud to, to, to count uh, this, uh, this in, our, in our history. Yeah, I'm so grateful, Julian, that you pointed that part out to me because it's a big thickness in the wall. And you said, wait, stop, look here. And uh, I guess they protected maybe, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of bottles, but they left some to be drunk, which was very, very clever because if they had hit all of them, the the Germans would have said, wait a minute, we know there's some bottles down here. Now, um, another great part was the museum, but I will let listeners look on the show notes um, at localfood.wine and also um, Paris Food and Wine for the pictures of the old bottles, like the old uh, 1874 uh, Rain Vigneault and but I want to turn now to you personally. Uh, you know, it's always fascinating to see how um, somebody comes 
comes to wine. So I really don't know much about your background, but how did you, I mean, you obviously have a huge passion and respect for wine. How did you come to be a sommelier? How did you find yourself in this world of wine? You know, in my family, there isn't any people working in the restaurant industry or as a sommelier of some food and wine fasc fascination. Ten years ago, when I had uh, when I did Catrice School, I, I make some wine courses, uh, wine exam, which name uh, is a mention complémentaire sommellerie. It's an exam uh, diploma. It's a wine diploma, sorry. And um, but be before, uh, just um, starting with the beginning, when I uh, I, I was in um, in school, uh, like in lycée, I did Catrice School, like I was. Uh, Uh, learning cooking, uh, uh, service and um, hébergement as well, uh, room uh, room division. And uh, I was talking to me, but um, it's great. I love to do it, to be in contact with guests. I want to work in the in the restaurant, but um, I missed a bit of a, a passion because uh, I was really shy when I was young. And uh, when I first met uh, in my first, one of my first restaurant internship, it was in Saint-Tropez, in the Château de la Messardière, and I, I met a sommelier, uh, which, were, uh, which was really passionate, and uh, he, uh, this, uh, this, his approach with guests was totally different as a maître d'hôtel or uh, restaurant director. He was talking about with wine, with like... Uh, verbs, poems, it, it was really beautiful and I tried uh, my first wine here was uh, uh, Chateau d'Ikem 1998 uh, and uh, it was uh, fascinating and great the, the sweetness was real the minerality, the wine was not too uh, too too um, too fat, it was crazy the, the wines like a waxy taste it was uh, beautiful And then I decided after this restaurant internship to do a mention complémentaire sommellerie, it's wine courses in one, uh, in one year. And as I told to you, I was a bit shy, you know, uh, speaking with people, you know, uh, I was really shy. And then uh, some speaking about wine, talking about wine with a glass of wine in my hand, smelling the wines, uh, trying the wines and descri describing the wine. Uh, was a great opportunity to to fight my my shy, you know, and um, that's uh, make some wine tasting in front of guests. Just standing up like this in front of guests was a, a beautiful way to to be more open, open-minded. That's why I, I'm a sommelier now, and I've, I have the spirit to discover as well some other things. And I'm still um, I love to drink wines, and I love uh, eating as well, and I'm food passionate and I love uh, food and wine pairing. One just one little just a uh, bumper question as we say you mentioned a moment ago that you're on your way to the Douro you're going to be able to spend a couple of days in the Douro. Tell us what you expect to be able to do there and, and how it brings how it informs your job here as sommelier. In a, in a couple of days I'm going to to the Douro I'm going to visit Taylor's and uh, to make the harvest well it's just two days you know it's just to an apprentice but uh, you know um, Douro for me it's uh, a, a great part in the world for the wine viticulture for the wine uh, culture it's the first label uh, protect in the 1756 uh, in the 18th century it was uh, uh, just to be to protect and just to uh, to have the the wines uh, 
with the label to to, to fight the, the false wine or, or anything. But uh, it's the second time I, I go over there, and the, the vineyard is beautiful. It's uh, protected uh, in the Patrimoine Mondial de l'Humanité uh, since uh, the 2000s. Well, I mean, two days may, may not sound like a lot to you, but that's one of those things on, on my bucket list. I've always wanted to visit the Douro. It's one of the top places um, I'd, I'd like to go. And it seems to me it's so important for a sommelier to spend time with their feet, as you say in French, your, your feet planted in the, in the earth, in the ground. Yeah. Well, anyway, I want to say thank you so very much. Um, give us any last thoughts, how people, you know, lunch or, or dinner here, are there... If there's any special dinners coming up that you'd like to mention, or yes, one last point. Um, we're gonna do um, uh, a special dinner with uh, Chateau Latour in the 70 October, 17 October, October, sorry, and uh, it's going to be a beautiful collection of Chateau Latour opening with the, the chef's cuisine. So it's going to be a beautiful event, and we do it uh, many times each year. So. Come on, uh, we're, we will be really happy to welcome you on those dinners. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Julia. This episode has been brought to you by the generous support of Paris Food and Wine. Follow us on Twitter at Paris Food Wine, Facebook at Paris Food and Wine, and you can find me on Instagram at Page Food Wine. Next up is Franco Bowany, one Michelin starred chef, and Karina Laval, chef pâtissière of restaurant Louis Treize at the Chateau de Vault de Ligny. IoT Shipping. IoT Shipping uses the Internet of Things technology to track and trace your value assets throughout the transport process. Data is monitored by temperature, geolocation, and movement so that you always know where your value assets are and in what condition they are in. Contact them for more information and for a quote at iotshipping.xyz. That's iotshipping.xyz. Now you can find Paris Good Food and Wine on iHeartRadio, as well as on Spotify. And also, as always, on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. So on this very fine summer day, sitting here in the Chateau de Vault de Ligny in the heart of Burgundy. I'm accompanied here today with a wonderful, uh, very talented couple. It's uh, Karina and Franco, and uh, we're sitting in one of the one of the dining areas of their newly christened one-star Michelin restaurant here, the Louis Treize. And I'm going to start with you, Karina. I know that you're the chef pâtissière and with your husband, Franco, who's the chef de cuisine. And I know that you have worked together for quite a long time. I believe you were telling me since 2005 or maybe even earlier. You'll, you'll correct me. I started in 2004 and uh, we worked together till now. <laughs> 
That's a really long history. And we're going to get more into that, your shared heritage from the Mauritius Islands. But first, you know, I really wanted, I was so fascinated by your story, Karina, about how you uh, went, you tried out for the Meilleur Ouvrier de France for the ice cream and ice sculpture. And you're the first woman to have done that. Tell me more about that, because that is such a groundbreaking thing to have done. So I went there. It's really fascinating because uh, everybody told me to try the Meilleur de France. Uh, it's a challenge because it's like a diploma delivered by the, the state, by the, uh, exactly, by the French government. So I say, well, I'll try it. Everybody told me, why do you don't, you are pastry chef, why you do, you try, you do not try the um, pastry, pastry meilleur voyage de France. So I say, as we got a friend, a friend from, from here, he's meilleur voyage de France, 1989, 19, yeah, Hervé Boutin. So he, he came here every year, we try, we talk a little bit about, and then I say, I'll, I'll try to, to do the ice cream, Meilleur Voyage de France, it's better. So I went there, it was very fascinated, and uh, I've learned a lot. We meet a lot of people, we, it's like, it was a big challenge for me. You know, for a lot of our listeners here on Paris Good Food and Wine actually are familiar with that term, Meilleur Ouvrier de France, but most Americans, you know, obviously aren't. Um, but it, it is, it's like a really, it's like, um, it's like being certified a, a star. It's like it's huge, huge recognition by the culinary world in France. And we got to try some of your, yesterday, we got to try some of your rose ice cream. And then today, your husband showed us the roses, in fact, in your, in your garden. How did you come upon using and extracting so authentically the flavor from those heritage roses? Uh, actually, in Mauritius, we used to, to try uh, products like rose water. We, we try to extract some rose water. We make it. And uh, when I came here, everybody told me that this is an exceptional product. It's, it, it, it's here only 15, 15 days a year. So you need to, to see about it and try to do something about with that. So we take it, we try to, so we make ice cream, we make the rose water, but the ice cream is better, I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, macarons too, yeah. We try the macarons, but for me, the ice cream is, it's better. Franco, let's turn to you. You know, here we are in the mo one of the most traditional parts of France. We're in the heart of Burgundy. Just a stone's throw from here is, is the very famous, well, the very famous town of Chablis, but even closer is Vézelay, where the Knights Templar departed for their big conquest into to Jerusalem a thousand years ago. And here you are, you've just earned yourself earlier this year a Michelin star. And extraordinarily, you are infusing your traditional French cuisine with spices and exotic touches from your Mauritius Island heritage. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yes. So, um, as you know, the chateau is uh, open uh, for only eight months a year. So we got the opportunity to go back every year to Mauritius uh, from November to March. So when we go back home, we try to look after all uh, the spices, herb that remembers our childhood. So that's what we try to bring here. So uh, every year when we go back to Mauritius, we try to find out what kind of spices we can bring. So I already, uh, like three years ago, we were looking for four spices leaves. 
So it's a really a leaves. It's kind. It looks like bay leaves, a little bit bigger, and uh, it grows in forests in Mauritius. So I go and found a small tree that I planted in my garden in Mauritius. Fortunately for us, it grows very well. So now every year when I come back here, I bring like 500 grams of these of these leaves that we keep uh, preciously. So for sure, we we have also gloves, uh, cinnamon. Uh, cardamom also so we try to let people discover also our culture so that's why we try to bring a little pot of Mauritius in our plate what's so extraordinary with your about your ingenuity too is that it marries so well with the van de bourgogne with the wines from this region i mean it's just a beautiful pairing now this morning we were privileged for that you you guys took us on a tour of your gardens and you were talking a little bit more about how, I mean, you have actually quite substantial gardens here behind this gorgeous 900-year-old Chateau de Vault de Lugny, which is one of the most beautiful chateaus I've ever visited here in France. Now, how is it that you work with the, the products from your garden? Do you take them directly from the garden and put them on people's plate, or how does that work? So, yes, we have a very nice uh, garden. So what we try to do is uh, we try to, take only the necessary uh, ingredients that we need from the garden. If we need, for uh, example, 10 carrots for today, we only, only pick 10 carrots. If a guest order a salad, we go and pick it uh, by the order. And uh, it goes for all the vegetables except the fine herbs and all the flowers that we're going to put on the plate. So, like, for example, the zucchini and the zucchini flower, we're going to pick, like, I will say, five per day or six, depending on the numbers of covers that we have. And we also have fruits, which is uh, which unfortunately goes very fast for us, like the raspberries. We started like a 200 grams per day, and it will go like 800 grams the next day and two kilos the next day. So unfortunately for that, we can't. Uh, we have to pick them when they are at their best period, at the ripe uh, period. And uh, for all other vegetables, we try to let them grow until we need them that's what that's what we have um it's what we try to do you know with all the talk about farm to table in the last decade or so it's really wonderful to see people actually practicing that i mean this is really true farm to table you walk 50 meters behind the chateau you you know you pick your fleur de courgette your zucchini flowers and there five minutes later it's on your plate it's quite it's quite incredible now something else too that is my first time i've seen it in france and i i spoke karina and i kind of spoke about that yesterday a bit um is the breadfruit because I, I grew up a bit in the islands actually quite substantially in the islands and we used to eat that too as a child in fact we would see them growing on the trees, and they would, they were, they were, they were so plentiful. They would drop down, ripen, and the smell of like yeah. is like like beer. Really, is what it smells like when when they're so ripe and kind of rotting on the ground. Anyway, you infused some breadfruit into one of your dishes yesterday, and it, it was quite remarkable. It was um, you had like a piece of a, a very fine slin, a very fine thin slice that you fried almost like a potato chip, and then you also used the pulp to mash it up like like a potato. Tell me a little bit more about that dish because that was fascinating. First time ever in France I've had breadfruit. Yes, uh, yes, thank you. So uh, yes, breadfruit is. Uh, I will say it's, it's kind of a place that we eat a lot when we are kids. After school, we came home, you have a breadfruit very hot. We just put some butter that melt on that, a little bit of salt. It's very delicious. So it's something that we were 
we wanted to make the European discovered our cuisine, our tradition, and also some of our product, like uh, breadfruit, for example. And we also have ladyfingers, uh, yeah, also jackfruits. But breadfruit, uh, we treated it. We treated it. Um, I would say mostly like a, really like a potato. So, and uh, just before that, we uh, two weeks ago we had the breadfruit, but we tried to make we make a gnocchi out of it. Uh, breadfruit gnocchi with a black truffle and a truffle sauce. This was uh, very nice also. So it's really a vegetable. We can say vegetable or a fruit because uh, we don't really know. It's kind of a fruit also. So that goes very well. You can accompany it with whatever you want. You can put whatever ingredient you want in it. It will go very nice. So with uh, the gnocchi with the truffle was very good. Yesterday with uh, uh, ink, uh, squid ink uh, puree, and the chips is good also very well with the sea scallop that you had. Yes, with the sea scallop and um, also with the langoustine, which you you almost just like barely poach. I mean, they're right between raw and just slightly cooked. It's just, it's wonderful. It's just, it's like perfect. It's that perfect balance. Okay, now let's turn to our final our final topic, and, and that is you guys working as a couple. It's so fascinating. I've always wanted to do this kind of an interview, a couple who works together in the kitchen. I've only met one other um, so far here in France, and they've actually moved on to London, so I, I missed the opportunity to interview them. But, you know, I, I, have, um, I also have people who've worked in, as chefs in my family, and one of the biggest things is that sometimes one of the spouse gets left home for long, long periods of time, which can be very difficult too, you know. But that's not to say that working together isn't, yeah. isn't always, uh, is always easy as well. Um, Karina, how do you find it? Like, how do you navigate this? Because I know you've spent some time together in Washington, D.C. as well. What was it, 2006, 2007? So I've been uh, over there in 2007. Uh, but our time, well, our time for working was not the same at all. So... I was almost uh, at work uh, at night and he was over there. No, I was in the morning and he was at night. So the night shift so sometimes we were we we were I, w- I stayed at home and he was at work and uh, uh, only for our our days off we were together but we have two days two days off it was it was fine. But here we we worked together both for the first time for the first two years it was a little bit not easy because uh, I need to to get to adapt his his ways of working, what he wanted to to so and then uh, with long with long uh, along going we, we we started to to understand each other's and uh, I think it's worked a little bit better now. <laughs> yes, uh, for sure. As you say, uh, sometimes it's it's not really that easy to work together. But uh, as a chef, as we spend a lot of hours in our kitchen, and uh, I think it's uh, yeah, it's kind of better that Karina is here, and we can talk, we can uh, see, and we can also see the improvement that we've made in our style of cuisine uh, for her pastries. From uh, today, we, I think we yeah, we we have done a very good job together, and uh, we have been able to. To try to always keep keep moving and keep going, and uh, that's that's what I think. Uh, I- I- yeah, is, is our réussite, I will say. Success. Success. I'm Paige Donner. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine.
Well, and also too, what's been so in evidence because you you let us do a course, the cuisine, a, ki- a cooking course in your kitchens this morning while you were both working, which was really fascinating. And what's been so evident is that your whole team is like so. Everybody's laughing. Everyone's jovial. I mean, you're so kind. To, I mean, you have a really, really great ambience in your kitchen, and that's not something you see everywhere. So obviously, that stems from the two of you, you know, because you're going to be the ones setting the tone for that. Yeah. So okay. So we'll we'll wrap up now. But tell us tell us what's on your menu for lunch today, Karina. T- let's start with you. Your menu for lunch today. So it will be my new chocolate dessert with cherry bl- cherry and uh, infuse uh, it's like a coulant infused with uh, cherry blossom and green tea chocolate ice cream it's like a, de- uh, a de- deconstruction of with chocolate we make lots of things with chocolate and uh, pistachio and uh, coconut moelle yes uh, for me as thought i think we're gonna prepare a baby uh, squid on the plancha and uh, as main courses we try to make a uh, a different part of the mangalitza pork, which is uh, new for us. And we will try to prepare a um, different part of this product, uh, the filet, the shoulders, uh, the ribs, and uh, try to make a plate out of that. Thank you so very much, Karina and Franco. I really appreciate you guys taking the time from your busy kitchen to do this interview today. Thank you. Thank you very much, and uh, nice day, everybody. <laughs> Thank you very much. Season 6 of Paris Good Food and Wine is generously being brought to you by IOT Shipping. IOT, the Internet of Things. IOT Shipping tracks your value assets using the Internet of Things technology that gives you data points based on temperature, movement, and geolocation. For more information, contact us at iotshipping.xyz. That's iotshipping.xyz. I'm Paige Donner. You're listening to Paris Good Food and Wine. The show is produced and broadcast from Paris, France. It's Paris's first-ever homegrown English-language radio show, about food and wine. Now you can find Paris Good Food and Wine on iHeartRadio, as well as on Spotify. And also, as always, on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. Be sure to check out our website at parisfoodandwine.net. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. A big thank you to all who helped make this show possible. And especially a grand merci beaucoup from me, your host and producer, Paige Donner. You can find this and past episodes of Paris Good Food and Wine on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, and wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Page Food Wine and on Twitter at Paris Food Wine. Leave us a review, comments, suggestions, and story pitches at parisfoodandwines.com. <laughs>